all the way from beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, by way of Sacramento, California. This is Kings in the North podcast. And now, the starting two for your listening pleasure. Standing six feet four inches tall at a Jesuit high school, the half-Greek freak, Nick Economy. And standing six feet tall out of McClatchy High School, Big Baller Ben. Kings in the North podcast is sponsored by Cash Considerations. For donations, hit up our Patreon. On today's show, we will be doing a classic roster breakdown for the 2018-2019 Sacramento Kings. Starting with the most seasoned veterans and ending with the newest rooks, we will be giving our own personal thoughts on each player on the current roster. Let's start with our fearless leader, Dave Yeager. Ben, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of indifferent. Like, Dave has the rap of a great coach, and by no means I'm saying fire the guy, but... Yeah, he's going into his sixth season as an NBA head coach, the third with the Kings. And, I mean, each of the previous seasons has come with its challenges, which kind of explains the decreasing record. What I'm really looking for is consistent minutes from the deserving young guns, less minutes from the locker room vets. And, I mean, this guy's like a defensive coach, so I want to see some improvement from the 28th-ranked defense in the league, the third-worst defensive team in transition. Yeah, I agree with you on a lot of those points. Uh, Personally... I know back in Memphis, he was a grit-and-grind coach with Zebo and Mark Gasol. And obviously, when he came, Zebo followed. And I don't want that grit-and-grind to come with Zebo. We're in a pace-and-space league, and if you look at our roster, we're built for pace-and-space. We have a bunch of knockdown three-shooters. We have the, one of the fastest point guards in the league. And we have two power forwards and centers that are explosive and dynamic. So I think we should start shifting away from this old style of basketball and see where this new open space might take us. One last thing. Um, this is something I actually love about Dave. is uh, Since coming to SAC, the guy's looking good. Like We're talking spray tan, new suits, like cover of GQ. So from now on, we're going to be referring to Coach Yeager as GQ Dave. Yeah, GQ Dave will live forever in our hearts. Even if his tenure with the Kings isn't much longer. Now on to the players. First up, Zach Randolph. Entering his 18th year in the league, Zebo is the definition of grit and grind. Well known for his days with GQ Dave in Memphis, Zebo is a reliable yet rapidly aging former All-Star. Last season, Zach Randolph put up 14.5 points, 6.7 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 0.7 steals, and a measly 0.2 blocks per contest. Zach played 25.6 minutes per game last season. Now this all begs the question, does Zebo still have a place on this team? Yeah, I mean, if he's willing to take, you know, a limited role, we'll give him 15 minutes a game. He could be a formidable backup to, you know, any of the number of players that should be starting over him. Well, even with the logjam we have at center, I think his points are valuable on this team. With the youth that we have, just having someone who's reliable and consistent to get 10, maybe 15 a night, I think that there's a place. But in the role he's currently in as a starter or even as the sixth man off the bench, I think he needs a smaller role. So this brings up the final question. Um, Would you buy or sell on Zebo at this point in time? Um, I'm going to sell. There's a special hatred in my heart for anyone who went to Michigan State. And um, I think 
Zebo's just kind of there, and he's taking valuable minutes away from the super team, just young. You know, I disagree on the Michigan State thing, but I do agree that I would sell. Um, he is taking away minutes. He is a formidable backup, but as a starter or even as a mainstay on a roster, he's just a little remnant of years past. He's over the hill. Exactly. Up next is the 29-year-old 10-year vet, Costa Kufis. Costa, former high school teammate of C.J. McCollum Kufis, has been a solid role player for the Kings these past couple years, stepping up as a serviceable starter or a reliable backup after the departure of Boogie Cousins. In 20 minutes a game last season, Costa averaged 6.7 points, 6.6 rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.7 steals, and 0.5 blocks. Okay, so I have uh, three questions that really kind of define Costa's season, this upcoming season. Um, you mean over-under compared to last year um, on Costa's uh, minutes per game? I think for sure under. Um, I think maybe at the start of the season he'll get somewhere around the same 20. But towards the end, it's definitely going to tail off, if not completely drop off a cliff. Um, so, I mean, I think I'm, I am I know where you're going with this next one. Um, but let me get an over-under on uh, Costa's points, rebounds, and blocks per game. Again, just down, just based off of uh, minutes, you're not going to score as much if you're not playing. And uh, finally, does Costa deserve to start over the youth? You know, honestly, at the beginning of the season, it wouldn't be the worst thing to have him out there with a Bagley or with a Giles, just to have some veteran leadership. But to say that he deserves the start is a bit of a stretch. He's definitely going to be around and he'll be involved, but he's nowhere near a starting level center on a team nowadays. Either way, we just can't wait to see that patented half hook. And the patent pending bald spot. Up next is 28-year-old seven-year vet Iman Shumpert out of the Georgia Institute of Technology. Shump is a veteran 3 and D wing with a three-point percentage hovering right around 40. Last year, he played in 14 games as a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers alongside LeBron James. We got Shump as part of the All-Star Break Player Dump, which saw the diaspora of D-Wade, D-Rose, Jay Crowder, Larry Nance Jr., Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, and former Kings Isaiah Thomas and George Hill. In 20 minutes per game, Shumpert averaged 4.4 points, 2.9 rebounds, 1.2 1.2 assists, 0.6 steals, and 0.3 blocks. Okay, so a couple questions to uh, define Shump's season. Uh, coming off of a knee surgery, is Shumpert just a trade waiting to happen? You know, he opted into his contract this summer, which was expected. A guy who's injured and has a player options most of the time going to take it. And with a one-year contract that's worth about $11 million, it really makes sense for him to be a trade to a contender looking to shed uh, a pick and some contract space. Um, so where would he fit? I think his best fits are maybe Boston or Houston if they could find some sort of roster move that would make it work. Um, and then finally, uh, as our second highest paid player currently... What is Shumpert's role with the team? 
I think as a 3 and D wing, as we mentioned earlier, he'd be a great fit as a, a role player or as a mentor playing that really thin small forward position that we have currently. We really only have one or two small forwards, and none of them are really locked into being a starter. Next up, we got a player returning for his second tour of duty, Ben McLemore. McLemore's going into his sixth season in the league, a former top 10 draft pick, originally picked by the Sacramento Kings. After starting his rookie year looking like a potential starter and even a decent role player for the Kings, his career took a hard turn and dropped off a cliff when he was stolen back-to-back times by Kawhi Leonard. Now last season, Ben McLemore averaged 7.5 points, 2.5 rebounds, just under an assist, 0.7 steals, and 0.3 blocks in just about 19.5 minutes played. Ben, how do you see him fitting into this Sacramento Kings team on the second stint? I mean, hopefully, like, he doesn't fit with the team. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, be too mad if we shipped him to Stockton for a year. It, it really seems like he's one of those classic cases where, like, at this point in his career, he gets decent minutes on the Kings, and on any other team, he's, you know, out of the league. Like, my only thing is, we're only giving him, like, five mil, so, my, you know, we, we could realistically keep him, but there's no way we should even think about re-signing him. Um, at this point, the the only thing I really associate him with is that LeBron comment on draft night where, you know, that's probably the high point of his career where LeBron said, this guy looks halfway decent. Um, he hit his really low ceiling three years ago, and I really hate that I have to share a name with the guy. So you're saying that at best this guy's G League talent, you don't think... He should even be in the league at all. No, I mean, like, there are a couple players in the league that obviously he's, you know, he's bouncier than or he's more athletic or you know, whatever you want to say. But as far as, you know, the will to win, the basketball IQ, I just I don't really see it. And I don't think he fits with the future of the team. So then moving forward, do you think he'll be some trade bait, maybe in a package deal with Shumpert to – take on a big contract with all of this cap space we have in the next two years to maybe get a first-round pick next year, which we are missing. I mean, if we could lump him in with somehow getting the first-round pick, that'd be probably the greatest move Vladi has made in, so far in his career as GM. Moving on to greener pastures, we get to the 25-year-old three-year vet Willie Cauley-Stein. The artist known as Willie Trill is entering his final year of his rookie deal. After three seasons, the young big man always leaves a desire for more in his defensive ability and his offensive proficiency. That being said, Willie definitely put up some uh, solid numbers as the starting center. In 28 minutes per game, Willie averaged 12.8 points, 7 rebounds, 2.4 assists, 1 steal, and 1 block. Um, so the big question here is, uh, do we extend Willie before the October 31st rookie extension deadline? You know, compared to some of the other players, such as D-Book and Phoenix, who's already signed an extension, and Porzingis, even though he's been hurt, but and Carl Anthony Towns, who are both eligible for extensions in this offseason, uh, Trill doesn't really seem at the same level as these other guys. He's two, three notches below them 
in just overall skill. So what you're saying is, you know, we give him up until October 30th. I mean, honestly, we might even just not offer and send him a qualifying offer when the summer rolls around. I don't think the market for big men is exactly what it used to be, especially one that can't really space the floor. He's just a glorified rim-running big man who is quite good at when he shows flashes, but as an overall player, he's nothing special. And the qualifying offer will restrict other teams from signing him outright and give us the rights of first refusal. I mean, personally, I have always been in Willie's corner. Um, So my next question is, how much longer do you see him on this team? Well, you know, I mean, we've drafted a couple of pretty stellar big men in the last two years. Hopefully, if they pan out, we don't need Trill around that much longer. He even expressed that he thinks that he should be a starter and even one of the best forward centers in the league comparing himself to Porzingis last year. I honestly think if we send him a qualifying offer, he'll get an offer from another team around the league in somewhere in the 12 to $15 million range, which is about what he, he should earn. Um, we could probably tie him down for another three or four years on that deal, and after that, it's really a crapshoot. If he continues playing the way he has the last few years and really his whole career... I think he'll be gone after that next deal. He'll kind of just be a permanent backup in the league. I mean, all that being said, someone will take 13 points a night. Yeah, but the question is how much will they pay for it, even above a veteran minimum, if he can't improve past where he is? I mean, if he's smart, he just kind of takes whatever money he gets at that point in his career. I mean, you know, teams are going to have quick guards that can, you know, run the floor with him. I feel like there's always a spot for that type of player in in this league. It's just, you know, whether or not he's willing to take that decreased role. I mean, I don't even think he should start on our team. I just think he should be, you know, given minutes on our team. I agree. Up next, one of the craziest names in the league, Nemanja Bielica. After finishing his third season with the Timberwolves, Nemanja was between going back to Europe and playing in the EuroLeague or playing for the 76ers. And this is where Vladi swooped in and snatched him out of the jaws of Europe. Professor Big Shots, as the name implies, has hit many big shots with the Timberwolves. Now, moving to the Kings, he's filling up a nice little gap, playing that stretch four, maybe even a little three for us. In 20 and a half minutes per game last season, he put up 6.8 points, 4.1 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 0.7 steals, and 0.2 blocks. Ben, do you have any thoughts on Belly? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see where we put this guy. I think we could use him, like you said, at the three. I mean, we were kind of short in that area. You just better hope pneumonia doesn't go cold, you know, turn into pneumonia. Uh, 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 uh. That was horrible. Moving on. Up next, we have Deontay Davis, a third-year player out of Michigan State University who's had a brief stint with Memphis. He came over as part of the Garrett Temple deal, which saw us reclaim Ben McLemore and send Garrett Temple away. After being chosen in the second round in 2016, he has been more disappointing than satisfying, but he's shown bursts and flashes of what he could be. 
averaging 15 minutes over 62 games last season. Deontay put up 5.8 points, 4 rebounds, 0.6 assists, 0.2 steals, and 0.6 blocks. Now, Ben, what do you think Deontay has to do for a contract next season? Yeah, I mean, there's really not much he can do um, to help his situation in sack. You know, he's a 6'11", 7-footer, and there's not going to be enough minutes to go around to really groom this player into something that's going to average 12 to 15 points a game. Could he get to that point? I don't see why not. Um, I just don't think it's in the best interest of our team and the way our team's going to take on another project. So including Deontay, we have eight players who play the four or the five right now on this roster. Obviously there's a minutes problem. Who do you see being there at the end of the season? And who do you think will be gone by the trade deadline? I mean, like just looking at the roster up and down, I think we're kind of stuck with these guys. I mean, no one wants to trade for any of the front court players that we have, and certainly not at the contracts we've taken on with some of them. I mean, some of the younger guys, I guess a team could, you know, take on a project where we, you know, certainly aren't able to. But I, I don't see any of our forwards being part of any, you know, blockbuster deals. I think I'm just going to have to ride it out. Um, follow-up question. Do you think that he comes back next season? Do you think we'll re-sign him maybe to a two-year minimum deal? Deontay? Yeah. No. Well, I mean, okay. This is the only way it could happen. Is, one, Zebo retires or some sort of, you know, nagging injury or some team you know, completely goes out on a limb and signs a guy, like, for more money than he's worth, that could be, you know, one of the ways Deontay's on the team. Another one is if, uh, you know, we shed some space, you know, the positionally and contractually with, you know, Costa Kufis, which at this point, I don't know, I might play it safe. I'm really not one to play it safe normally, but I might play it safe and take Kufis's patented half hook and patent pending bald spot over whatever Deontay Davis has to offer um yeah there's definitely a, a way that he could be on this team and like I don't know I wouldn't put it past the front office to take on that challenge but so, so we have 50 mil in cap space next year as of now if everybody doesn't re-sign or extend their contracts throughout the season um, you wouldn't be willing to put a maybe two mil men flyer out for Deontay Davis, just to even be the thirteenth man off the bench. Um, no, I mean, I, I guess that's an option. I just don't really see the point of that. It just seems like, you know, if the Kings are willing to give two million dollars away, you know, give it to the fans at the at the gate. Like, it, I don't know. Up next is the twenty-two-year-old, two-year vet, Scal Labissiere. Our Haitian prince, Scal Labissiere, is coming off a second campaign, which did not see much improvement from his rookie year. After looking like a good prospect once DeMarcus was dealt, Scal has shown little signs of improvement, aside from doubling the number of games played. Scal appeared in 60 games last season for your Sacramento Kings, averaging 8.7 points, 
4.8 rebounds, 1 assist, 0.4 steals, and 1 block in 21 minutes of play per game. So, Scal's career is kind of in the balance right now. Um, we know he can shoot the ball well enough, and, you know, we know he's, you know, got the body type and the play style to really work with kind of that stretch forward look that everyone seems to be running with. Um, the, the real question is, if we give Scal 20, 24 minutes a game, do you see any improvement? You know, I I don't, but I'm big on Harry Giles. I think he would be overall better use of those minutes. What I do think about Scal, Scal is a very talented player at times. And when he's on, he can really just light up the scoreboard and kind of pull down rebounds for our team almost more effectively than Trill at times. However, he's really inconsistent, and his shooting some nights will be real off and he'll still be taking shots, I think keeping him around wouldn't hurt. He'd be a good backup as he is already, and maybe 15 minutes a night is more around his real range, but I think he shouldn't play as much as he did last season, at least. And, I mean, I definitely agree with that. My thing with all of these players is, I mean, at least all the young guys, none of them have... Well, they shouldn't even have the gall to go up to GQ Dave and, you know, demand minutes. So if, like you said, if Scal's willing to take, you know, a minute cut and, he's, you know, if he's about to bust his butt for 14 minutes a game and, you know, still put up eight or nine points, obviously that's, you know, um, like an increase as far as productivity. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 100% down for keeping him around. I love the name. It's fun to say, and, you know, if, if anything else, he's just another Kentucky product that looks like, you know, Coach Cal did some did some work with. On the flip side, though, I think that with all of these young guys, it's still really hard to predict where they might be in three or four years when they're entering their primes. Um, but that's our job. Yeah. But anyway, like, keeping Scal around wouldn't hurt. Giving him more minutes than somebody like Belitza, maybe this year would hurt because we don't have that pick. But two years down the road wouldn't be the worst idea. He's a player that has shown flashes of really good. Maybe not flashes of great, but if he can get up to that really good level and become a decent starter or a high-tier backup, a great sixth man... It would be a great asset for the team. Up next is the 24-year-old, two-year vet, Buddy Heald, out of the University of Oklahoma. Buddy Love is back for his third season in the league and his second full season with the Sacramento Kings. Once described as the, quote, next Steph Curry, unquote, Buddy has shown flashes, like in an overtime thriller against the Clippers in which he hit 7 of 9 from beyond the arc. However, his age his defensive ability, and most importantly, his consistency are all big questions for a player who struggles to always get himself going. In 80 games last year, Buddy averaged 13.5 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal, and .3 blocks in 25 minutes. 
Um, the one consistency with Buddy is his ability to just be on the court. He's only missed two games in the last two seasons in the league. Buddy's one of those players for me where, you know, the eye tells a lie in a sense, where I don't necessarily like watching him play a lot of the time. I mean, you know, when he pulls up from 30 feet and it's a hard brick into the stands, it's not looking too good. But, I mean, the stats say he should be on the court. He's, you know, he's got a low turnover rate, averaging, you know, basically one turnover per game. His usage rate's at 25%. Pretty solid for someone coming off the bench. I mean, even if he is, like, legitimately in the six-man role. If you're going to compare him to Steph Curry, which you really shouldn't be, but for some reason the Kings do. If you're going to compare him to Steph Curry, he, per 100 possessions, is averaging less turnovers. Which, as uh, Grant and Jerry always used to say, you know, you, you can't score the ball if you don't have the ball. So, I think all of the stats are saying that he should be out there. I, you know, agree he should be playing. I also think he is committed to being the sixth man, which is always, like, a nice thing where as if the player is fine with coming off the bench and it works coming off the bench, it's kind of like that symbiotic relationship for the player and the coach, and it's not, like, too, of, too much of a crazy relationship. I think I, I like a lot when Buddy and Bogey are on the court together. I think they work really well together. You got the Bahamian Bombardier and the Serbian Sniper. Um, and it's bombs away. Yeah, I, I'm much higher on Buddy than you are. And I know that from watching games with you in the past. Um, Buddy is a volume three shooter, yet still maintains a fairly high average I mean, really, almost an elite average at 43% last season. Um, as a young player, I mean, younger, but as a second-year player, he's really shown that he could be what that future NBA player is. If his defense really picks up, he'd be a great, great asset for this team. I mean, you can't pass up a 40% free, a 40% three-point shooter Especially at the volume he takes threes. So exactly. I'll, I'll so that. he's definitely going to be a great player for the team. I think that if we can keep him around as long as possible, that would be great to have next to De'Aaron and really space the court for some of these young forwards we have. Anyway, moving on now. Next up, we have Yogi Ferrell. Yogi Ferrell is another older third-year player with his first two years spent traveling around the league as a backup and starting less than half of his games. In his time with both Brooklyn and Dallas, he's proven to have the tools to be a pure scoring point guard and even made the all-rookie second team. Playing in every game last season, Yogi put up 10.2 points, 3 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 0.8 steals, and 0.1 blocks in about 28 minutes of work each night. So Ben, for my question for you here is, do you think how do you think he's gonna fit in in this backcourt that's kind of already full? Yeah, I mean, I think he get some you know playing time when De'Aaron's run himself into the ground, so to speak. We we've talked before that 
I would probably give you know Yogi minutes over Frank Mason the third, just you know at this point in both of their careers. But you know I really don't see him making a huge impact. Um, yeah, I mean after Frank's performance last season in the summer league. He's a decent player, but his size and is still a real big weakness. Um, he he turns it over a lot, and he really isn't meant for high level basketball. And I think Yogi would be a better backup point guard than Frank at this point. Now onto the sophomores. Up first, one of our older sophomores, Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson came into the league expected to be one of the most polished and NBA-ready players from last year's draft. However, his rookie year was a bit of a disappointment, to say the least. Having spent time in the G League and being extremely inconsistent during his minutes in the NBA. This summer, that inconsistency continued in the summer league, showing flashes of greatness while also showing flashes of mediocrity. In 68 games last season with the Kings... He averaged 22 minutes and put up 6.7 points, 2.8 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 0.4 steals, and 0.2 blocks. So this all begs the question, will it translate to the NBA game? Will his performances in Summer League catch up and actually show themselves in the regular season? I mean, God, I hope so. Um, two two summer league games in particular really stand out. I mean, as far as Justin Jackson goes, you got the Memphis game where Rudy saved the seats. You idiot! Where um, like he really should have some more confidence in his shot. I mean, he shot over fifty percent from three in that game versus Memphis. Um, another game um, in the summer against Cleveland, it you really should give him confidence with his ability to get to the hoop. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of like the, the same deal with Ben McElmore. I just don't want to see this deer in the headlights, you know, kind of play. I want some confidence in your ability to be on the court with other NBA, you know, like superstars. Like, I don't want this, like, in awe of the players you're playing against. You're one of these guys. So, make baskets. Play defense. My biggest thing about that Cleveland game that you brought up, he did put up 20 points back-to-back nights, once against Memphis, once against the Cavs. Um, however, that Cleveland game, he did put up an absurd number of shots. I think it was 24 shots, made seven. And I like that willingness to shoot up to a point where it's hurting your team, which it ultimately led to the loss. But... I think that having that willingness to turn the page is a great sign. Yeah, I think the the one thing that, that, that I was really talking about with Cleveland is, yeah, I mean, he did miss, like, you know, his first, Every shot. his first seven shots from the field. But there was kind of, like, the ability, like you said, the ability to turn the page. Like, that game, what really stood out for me was he wasn't making his, you know, jump shots, so he drove the ball. And I didn't see that at all in the regular season last year. The ability to not just kind of shrivel up and then hit the showers was, you know, kind of refreshing. And I hope that that carries over to the regular season. Up next is the point guard returning for his sophomore season out of the University of Kentucky, De'Aaron Fox. 
Swipe of the Fox is returning as the main facilitator slash playmaker for the Sacramento Kings after a rookie campaign that saw multiple clutch plays win a few close games and almost derail the tank. His first season showed us how he can move the Kings towards relevance, but also showed some weaknesses in size, strength, and most notably on-ball defense. Dearon showed up in 73 games last season for your Sacramento Kings. In 28 minutes, he averaged 11.6 points, 3 rebounds, 4.4 assists, 1 steal, and .3 blocks. So this is like, you know, really one of our only players that is a lock to start at a certain position, a position he obviously feels comfortable with at point guard, someone, so you know, a position that he's great at. I'm not going to, you know, he's, he is a great player. What do you want to see as far as improvement from De'Aaron this season? I think the biggest thing is just his body. Um, I, want, I want to see him maybe gain 5 or 10 pounds in this offseason which I'm not too sure if he has. Um, but that will lead to things like being able to be on the court all season and not have a rookie wall drop off, being able to play better on-ball defense, and really just continue being the explosive freak that he is. He's His game is pretty well developed. He's a decent passer. He's a great finisher. I think just a little bit more bulk on him would be great. And just to add to that, another thing is um – the, the first um, summer showcase, or however they wanted to market it, in Sacramento um, this summer versus uh, L.A., De'Aaron w- was the floor general. And um, Marvin Bagley the third. there was an instant connection. They felt comfortable. And then, you know, when De'Aaron, I don't know if it was injury or whatever they want to call it, they just, you know, didn't really want to throw him out there. There's no need to. Exactly. The, for the rest of the summer league, there was a noticeable drop-off, and that makes sense. All, all I was getting to is this guy is the franchise. And that's confirmed with this year's draft pick. Up next is international sensation returning for his sophomore season, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Bogdan, the Serbian sniper Bogdanovich, is a fan favorite. After spending three years dominating the EuroLeague with Fenerbahce, Bogdan graced us with his presence last season. Becoming a knockdown scorer and a playmaking passer, Bogdan earned all rookie second team honors. Appearing in 78 games last season, in 28 minutes per game, Bogdan averaged 12 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, and .2 blocks per contest. Alright, so the biggest question with Bogey is uh, at age, now he's 26. At age 26, will he improve or has his ceiling already been reached? I think, I hope at least that he's he'd improve. Um, his on-ball defense was a little subpar and his off-ball defense he'd get lost every once in a while. I think that's his biggest area for improvement. We really know what he is on offense and he'll get more and more confident to take and make more shots. But defensively, I want to see some steps this year. I want him to be a reliable on-ball defender, be a guy that some of the youngsters can look to when they need some confidence on defense. Yeah, I mean, to, to add to that, I if there's one person I want to shoot the ball more, it's, it's Bogey. I mean, 
if you've like I spent a decent amount of my spare time watching his EuroLeague highlights. The dude doesn't miss, and I eventually you would hope that would translate to the NBA. I mean, it already has in a sense. The dude's clutch, and he's one of those you know three players: the the Fox, the Heald, the Bogdanovich, where any one of them can win us a game, and that's you know that's a, a good a good as a fan that's nice to know that it's not just one option that you know a, a, an opposing team could could triple team it's any one of those guys and I mean I don't know if I'd trust Bogey with my life but I'd trust him to hit a game winner yeah I mean I agree with you on pretty much all of that um, up next we have Frank Mason the third out of the University of Kansas. FM Trey is returning after an alright rookie season backing up De'Aaron Fox. In his first campaign, he provided the occasional spark off the bench needed to propel the team to quite a few losses and maybe a couple wins, while the starters rested. His height and decision-making remain issues entering his second season after an inconsistent showing at the Summer League this year. In 52 games last year, Frank averaged 7.9 points, 2.5 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 0.7 steals, and 0.2 blocks in about 19 minutes of contest. Now, going into this season, how do you think he fits with this current team? I mean, I don't know. After that young money curse, I might, like, give the minutes to Yogi Ferrell, as we've said before. I, I like I like Frank. I enjoyed watching him in college. I enjoyed watching him last season in the NBA. I just don't know if, like you said, his you know style of play, his size, just kind of everything about him really translates to the team. I like I think the one thing that worked was it was a nice change of pace with De'Aaron to Frank that really kind of threw the defense off the the you know the style of play. The I think speed really was night and day, and maybe that worked to their advantage, but go ahead. I think um, going forward, though, I mean, Yogi Ferrell and Frank Mason are basically the same age, but Yogi Ferrell's proven that he could do it more consistently Mm -hmm. and do actually more with his minutes than Frank has shown, albeit in a year. Frank would be an interesting player to bounce between the NBA and the G League just to get solid playing time to see how he might develop, but I don't think his ceiling is Isaiah Thomas. I think his ceiling's a lot lower than that. So going forward, I think it's Yogi Ferrell all the way. Yeah, I mean, just ending with Frank, maybe don't buy his jersey just yet? Up next is a rookie in the Ben Simmons terms, Harry Giles III. Harry's an interesting prospect. After leaving high school as the number one overall rated prospect in the nation, a couple of knee injuries, including during his senior year, sidelined him for the majority of the last three years. Last year, provisionary measures were taken to reduce his risk of re-injuring his knees, while still being able to train with the Sacramento Kings. He enters this year after an intriguing showing at Summer League, which definitely left the fans wanting more. In Summer League, he played four games at about 22.8 minutes per game and put up 11 points, 7 rebounds, one and a half assists, one and a half steals, and 0.3 blocks. Ben, how do you feel about this young rook coming in? 
Um, I mean, yeah, it's another one of those players where, like, I'm really excited. It's it's kind of a, one of those toss-ups. You got, like, the, you know, both knees are shot kind of deal. Like, coming into the Kings, which is, you know, kind of reminds you of, like, back in the day when we got C-Web and you kind of knew we we were only going to have him in his prime for a couple years. Hopefully, with, with Harry, it's, you know, a long, lustrous fruitful as they would say a fruitful career um multiple championships is what we're hoping for but no uh but i digress i think harry giles is is kind of like to me he he looks like that young explosive kevin garnett type of dude i was never a fan personally of kevin garnett but i could see the appeal um i think Giles has a lot of upside. I mean, he's shown his ability to stretch the floor a bit. Didn't really get out into three-point range too much during Summer League. But he was sinking shots from the elbow, just like you mentioned KG. And if you go back to last season, Vince Carter and some of the other guys said that he was the best player in practices. And that just makes me hopeful for him, if he can stay healthy, being the best player on the floor the rest of the season. Yeah, and not only that, like you mentioned, like the the um, accolades from Vince Carter and the vets. I just think not only is this guy like a, a good a good dude, he's he's just a, he's a hard worker. You know, I mean, if you're, I'm not too huge on social media as a representation of your whole lifestyle, but you know, if you follow this guy, you notice he's always in the gym, he's always working on his craft, and he genuinely wants to help this team. I think that's the one interesting thing is he feels that, I mean, a, a lot of these young guys, they feel that Sacramento is the place for them, which is nice, you know, not, it's not one of those, I have to be here, it's I want to be here, and I think Harry Giles fits into that category. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly that way. And finally is our first round draft pick, Marvin Bagley Third out of Duke University. MB35 was our second overall pick this last year and remains one of the most polarizing players on this roster. After entering Summer League with a solid performance of 18 points and 6 rebounds, he faltered in his next couple of games before sitting out a couple of games with a hip-slash-groin injury. He is a hyper-athletic, albeit undersized center, with a high motor. However, he struggles to finish with his offhand. He gets lost on defensive rotations, but when he is on, he looks to be part of the future alongside De'Aaron Fox. In four games this summer, Bagley averaged 10 points, 6 rebounds, 0.5 assists, 0.5 steals, and 1.75 blocks in almost 32 minutes of gameplay. Okay, so, I mean, obviously, you know, his summer injury isn't gonna impact the start of the season um and obviously the the, you know the summer stats are somewhat inflated in some areas specifically the blocks there's no reason to believe this guy's gonna average two blocks a game in the nba at least right away how do you feel that the summer stats are gonna translate you know i was i wasn't the highest on bagley before the draft um I think that he has a really, really high upside, but Summer League really did exploit some of his, some of his weaknesses. Uh, that that the, the Warrior game when he was playing against Jordan Bell, 
a second year vet. He really struggled to finish. He was one, I think he had one point and missed all of his shots from the field. He really struggled throughout that game, and I think that's worrying. But I do believe he'll still put up probably between 8 to 15 points a game if he's giving the opportunity, and probably somewhere between 6 to 10 rebounds. Um, definitely not a double-double right off the bat, but he's a high-motor player. He definitely has a lot of upside, but if it goes wrong, there's a lot of chance for it to go very wrong. Yeah, I mean, just to add to that and kind of wrap up Marvin Bagley the third's breakdown, this was just a weird offseason. I mean... I guess with the Kings, every offseason is weird. But, you know, I remember the butterflies in the stomach at the, you know, watching the draft lottery. And then you know, the the first pick was, you know, a given. And so, you know, all the media outlets are saying, well, you know, I guess it's really like the Kings have the first pick. They can dictate the future of their team with with this pick. and And then, you know... There's, I somewhat remember the draft itself. $2 beers hit hard. Yeah, that was, uh, maybe we can stick with that during the season. But um, it, it was just weird. Polarizing is a good word for, for Marvin Bagley III because, you know, we're sitting there or we're standing there in line for the $2 beer and people are talking. There's a buzz around the stadium. It's It was packed. There was people on the, you know, on the floor. There was music. It was a great... It was just a great time to be had, but it wasn't like this. We're all in for Marvin Bagley, as far as like the from the fans' perspective. At least that's what I thought. I remember we we watched like the first. I was just with a group of friends, and we watched the first like ten picks, and a lot of people left. I mean, which makes sense. A lot of people left right after our second pick, but we just kind of wanted to see how it turned out. And I remember a lot of people walking up the stairs, and. I knew some people, I didn't know some people, and, and everyone was just very indifferent. And then flash forward to the first Summer League game with that absolute yam of a poster on Mo Wagner, and then everyone was extremely high on Marvin Bagley. So it is, it's one of those things where it's like, the dude has a lot to improve, but... This wasn't also a pick for Marvin Bagley. This was a pick for De'Aaron Fox. At least we didn't pick Trey Young. Atlanta. Okay, that has been the 2018-2019 Sacramento Kings roster breakdown. Before we leave you, we want to roll out Dirty Dan's Hot Take of the Week. Now, this is a segment where we ask our buddy Dan, who really knows nothing about basketball and is a awful basketball player, a question about the Kings or, you know, a, a team on a hot streak or just, you know, anything that tickles our fancy. And, well, it's going to be a question where we can, like, document if he got it right or wrong. And at the end of the year, if he reaches a, a, a proficiency benchmark, uh, we'll be giving him um, a little prize. To suggest us what we should give him, please send us an email at kingsinthenorthpod at gmail.com. Let us know your suggestions. We're excited to read your emails. All right, now joining us is Daniel Archer. Dan, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show, lads. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. 
Now, for this week, we would like to know, how do you think the Kings do in the preseason? What do you think their overall record is? Well, I'm not so sure. The Kings haven't been playing so well as of late. So, uh, But how many games is there in the preseason there, Ben? All right, so there's there's six games in the preseason. we got two back-to-backs. We're playing a neutral site game against Golden State up in Seattle. So, yeah, six total. And, uh, Dan, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the, the Kings will beat that team from Israel. So I think they're going to go 3-3 um, three and three is my, my prediction. All right, not not a bad prediction, honestly. That's kind of what what I was thinking. I was thinking in the two and three and three, two and four range. I think we're about to get absolutely spanked by the Lakers. Um, actually, you never know, really. It's preseason. Preseason's so unpredictable. LeBron could play thirty minutes and he could play five minutes. So it really just depends on how many minutes each guy's getting. But I don't think we win either the Jazz or the Blazers game at the end as they do ramp up towards normal minutes towards the end of the preseason. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Good day, lads.